0: Hello and welcome to ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. I'm Karthik Iyer and this week we have a Need for Speed. I'm joined by Osman Samiuddin as we look back at Shoaib Bhakta's life in the fast lane. But first, we catch up on what's happening in the world of cricket right now with updates on players resuming training and the T20 World Cup. At 100 miles per hour, here we go. This week on ESPN Quick Info Stump, Mike, we have with us Osman Samiuddin. Hey Osman, Eid Mubarak to you and to all our listeners out there.
1: Hi, th- thanks Hathik and Eid Mubarak to everyone out there. Um, I-, I hope you've had some good days in lockdown and quarantine wherever you all are.
0: Yeah, from what I've been seeing on social media, at least the food has been looking smacking for everyone. So, <laughs> so that's, that's one positive. As always. <laughs> so yeah but Osman I've been trying to get a hold of you for two days now yes okay yeah and I know you came back from your Eid celebrations and then a lot has been happening in the world of cricket hasn't it
1: yeah it's been a busy couple of days
0: (laughs) so for our listeners out there without boring anyone with all the board talk and what's happening with the ICC in brief what's been happening
1: uh, it's strange, actually, I guess, in a way, but also understandable. You know, every, everyone knows and understands that it, it, a lot of uncertainty around everything. But we thought, uh, that, you know, there was an ICC board meeting this week, uh, in which they were going to talk about the World T20 this year, you know, happening in October, November in Australia. And we thought that the, the, the conversation would center around that and what should happen to it. And, you know, we, we had done a story as well about, um, how, you know, some people had drawn up some alternative scenarios of what happens if the World T20 doesn't go ahead, uh, in October, November. Where do they push it in the calendar? Uh, and we even did a story on that. And then, uh, it, in the meeting itself turned into basically, I think, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to use the word fight, but like it turned into, I, I think not a very great meeting, basically in which they were talking a lot about, you know, there's been a lot of reporting around this, you know, from other places as well. Uh, and so it became, i think the meeting became one about how this information has leaked out um to 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 all these you know media establishments and stuff and you know i, I, I all i'll say is that uh you know for a meeting that was supposed to be on something very important you know like it, it's the future of th- this year's calendar the one of the main icc tournaments um and international cricket and how you know I, I, it's a little bit you know, it's not, actually, it's not so boring, but about how boards survive, because, you know, there, a lot of boards live off ICC event money. Uh, and so I would have thought that a meeting of, of the board heads that was supposed to be about that should have been about that. But strangely enough, it wasn't. And then the ICC said that, you know, we've deferred everything until June the 10th. Um And and that's it. It's It's weird. It's strange, I guess. But I guess it also tells you something about how, you know, the situations are building up in world cricket right now. There's a lot of Jostling around for the ICC chairman's post—all uh, very dull stuff—but you know it, it's all happening behind behind closed doors and or right now behind on laptop screens and, and Zoom and and other uh, video sharing technologies. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of jostling for space. You know, there's the big three boards want uh, more bilateral cricket. I think that's at the heart of this: is that the fact that the big three boards, I think, want more bilateral cricket, and everyone else wants more ICC events, including the ICC, because that is how the majority of boards live. Um, and I think a lot of those tensions might have come out in this meeting in, in, you know, in, in various other forms, but I think some of those tensions came out in this meeting. And now we're basically going to wait till June the 10th. Uh, although just as an update today, you know, Cricket Australia has given the firmest sign yet, uh, that the tournament won't happen this year. You know, Kevin Roberts has said that, you know, there's very high risk, uh, uh to the prospects of the tournament happening this year. And the, the, one of the bigger stories over the last couple of days was the fact that the Cricket Australia chairman has communicated to the ICC and basically, or to the Financial and Commer- Commercial Affairs Committee and said that, you know, we'd be happy to host it or we'd prefer to host it next year, um, instead of two years later. So that's, that's where we're at basically. You know, more updates will be coming. Tune into the site at some point over the next week or so. Uh to find out. But yeah, like I say, that's and like you said, that's that's all the more boring stuff. I'm sure we have better stuff to move on to.
0: <laughs> yeah, but if 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 any listener wants to read up on possible scenarios or alternatives for the T twenty World Cup in 2020, you and a regular on the pod, Nagraj Golapudi, have written a piece from a couple of days ago. So go check that out. There's a lot of content on our site as well. I think about the bilaterals as well. Hadn't Ravi Shastri said earlier that that would be the way forward—mobile bilateral series as opposed to ICC events—and I'm guessing that's something that the
1: ICC would not like to hear from the big three. Yeah, you know, it's something also like in in this time of this pandemic, where you know, it, it's it, I think it's it's almost impossible. One of the one of the officials that Naga and I had spoken to uh, before the meeting, they had pointed out basically that you know, it, it uh, logistically in this time, uh, bringing together sixteen teams in one place, maybe across two hotels. Uh, is massively difficult. It's hugely difficult to do it in this environment, uh, you know, because it involves, like, travel restrictions and quarantine implications. Uh, and, and that's all before getting onto the field itself, you know. So I, I think the point is that right now, bilateral cricket may be the easier one to resolve because it's only two sets of players that you have to kind of look after and, you know, the broadcasters, whatever. So I think just purely from a logistical point of view, right now, bilateral cricket... Is easier to go ahead with, and so they should push ahead with it. Um, but you know, o- over time, once we are fingers crossed, back to normal at some point, whether that's the next six months or longer or shorter, who knows? You know, but w- whenever we're back, I think that discussion will again begin about more ICC events or uh, or more bilateral cricket, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking about uh, bilateral series as well, we have heard from countries as well have resumed training. Where you are at in London, England has started training. Um, I know West Indies. A few test players have gone back to training. Australia have put out a schedule for the summer. Does it give you a sense that?
1: I mean, it does, of course. That cricket is moving towards a certain resumption. Ah, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I think uh, you know, uh, and I say absolutely, but obviously everything is dependent on what happens with the with the with the pandemic here in this country. Also, you know. kind of the trends have been encouraging fewer like the infection rate i think is dropping I'm, i'm not a scientist or a doctor but from what you read i think the infection rate is dropping they've eased the lockdown a bit more uh from next monday over here so you can gather and meet with up to six people in an outside space uh they're opening up a few more businesses the premier league you know which is the biggest thing going the premier league is restarting from the 17th of june i think correct so things you know things are coming back and i from what i know I think all three England, West Indies and Pakistan are fairly keen to get things going. Uh again, you know, so I think if we continue on this kind of trend uh as far as the virus goes, then yeah, I can see it happening definitely. We still have but you know, again we we still have over a month. Uh, July 8th I think is the is the date that the first test against West Indies is supposed to start. We still have over a month. Many things can change in a month. We know that. We we really really know that now. You know, because our entire world changed within, you know, probably for a lot of people in less than a month. Um, so a, a lot of things can still change in that month. But fingers crossed, if we're going the way we are, then, I, yeah, I, I think we will see some, you know, elite cricket pretty soon.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And listener, if you're wondering how players are training with social distancing, we have a few videos on our social media platforms and on the site as well with a lot of England cricketers. So go check that out. Now that was, we have covered the the news over the past, over the past week, but let's get into the meat of the episode. And Osman, before we come to you this week on ESPN Quick Info Videocast, which is a video property that Sanjay Manjrekar does, he interviewed the one and the only Shoeb Akhtar.
1: (laughs) A fun interview too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you expected it to be so fun. So listener, here's a bit of Sanjay Manjrekar with Shoeb Akhtar.
2: Hello and welcome to the ESPN quick and post video cast. And my guest today is a bit of a surprise. He's slightly different from the guest that I've had until now. I used to watch him out on the field, you know, getting all the kind of attention that he is used to. But after having known him from close what he's become a friend as well. Welcome Shoy Bhakti. Thank you so much for joining us on the ESPN quick and post video cast.
3: Thank you, Sanjay. It's always pleasure talking to you. It's always pleasure seeing you. It's always uh, I, th- I tell you what, a sigh of relief talking to you sometime. you know, just give me <laughs> yeah. a sense of relaxation, you give me a sense of, uh, you, know, um, you know, it's very nice happy to talk uh, you yeah. one of those people.
2: Yeah, I think I met you first time in Bangladesh mein when you sort of came into commentary and then I got to know you. And we've become uh, good friends and actually made a book. I made a book. Sometimes I started, and a lot of people actually found that very funny. And they remember that particular line that out of the blue, I get a call from Shoe
3: Bhaktam. Okay, forget about all of these questions. That's, let's IP. make it very interesting. Now, just right. The word did you think before even meeting me? What did you, what were your thoughts about me? Be on, very honest, be blunt. Right. Just so express. the idea of the whole
2: show is this. So when I saw Shoe Bhaktam from a distance, I saw a typical. Young fast bowler, wanting to get attention, you were not an introvert, <laughs> you were not shy. And you not 2003, major were Johannesburg, we were and you were saying, you know, actually, Pakistan ka captain of me. And then I thought, <laughs> this guy has got a lot of self-confidence, that,
3: that actually defines you, isn't it uh you know what i thought back in, in 2000 why i should have been a captain for Pakistan team i thought you know i had at least uh, six years left in me i guess if i would have run in every game almost every game if i play every game and run in you know i would probably easily win games for Pakistan if not all of them then half of them but i would have shortened my career or i would have shortened my career by at least about a hundred uh, one day is at least lesser than what I've played today. So I thought I could have just done that. Then I realized that no, I fitness not have problem. Um, there's a time that they came that they asked me, so, let's just jump in. When I watched you the first time, I had feeling, I
2: had a question if Shoeb Akhtar had a longer career and bowled at say 130, 135 kilometers per hour, would you have ever done that or you just wanted to bowl quick? No, I to not know Huh. Uh, that
3: We used to find the excuses and the reason to bowl fast. Now Nowadays, they used to, nowadays they, they're finding the reason to slow down and to play longer somehow. Why? I don't understand. The people only remember the test matches spells. No matter how many crickets you've taken in T20 cricket or probably, you know, I've done wonders in a one day cricket. Now people only remember the spells of the test matches. And now there's a battle between me and Sachin in the during the test matches. Hmm. There you go. He's going to hit me for a six. I'm going to get him clean bowled out or whatever it is, you know. I'm going to come back with a lot of characters. You know, there's a spells the people like to see. These the characters and the skills like people like to see. The back, the back in the days, me and Zaid and probably seven other fast bowlers. Sanjay, I'm being very honest, and I'm, I'm probably say I'm being very humble, but I just I'm telling you the fact and the truth. Out of this seven to eight fastest bowler, I was the least quickest bowler in the world in the Pakistan at that time. At the same time, they knew that they're going to play for Pakistan. You know,
2: I tell you something, a confession. When I watched you on the field from a distance. People are run-up. When you look at Shoei I'm talking to the fan, when you look at Shoei on Wikipedia, the largest section of information on Shoei Bakhtar is Shoei Bakhtar and his controversy. The mm. so, content usme. But when I watched you, I saw a guy who was getting attention for the wrong reason because after very Very few people would have actually noticed how accurate you were as a fastball. And I think, that must have been one of the reasons why you were able to surpass the others because you were very sharp.
0: Listener, if you want more of ESPN video cast, Sanjay Mazrekar has interviewed along with Akhtar Mai Khasi, Mithali Raj, Mayank Agarwal, Ramiz Raja and many more. So you can head on to our website and check it out. Osman, Shoaib Akhtar, <coughs> and I'm sure your, I think your journalistic career it seems to have coincided
1: with Shoei Vakhtar as well, no? Uh, yeah, a lo- so a lot of it was uh, unfortunately I, I, I missed as a journalist. I missed like I, what I would say are the peak kind of early Shoei years, you know, when the '99 World Cup, uh, the, 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 the Eden Gardens Test where he got Sachin and Dravid, I, I You know, I wasn't I wasn't covering cricket then. Uh, so when I when I started covering, he had already started getting into more and more controversies, and like his fitness was just kind of turning. I mean, he'd always been. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a miracle that he made it as far as he did, you know, with the, with the kind of physical ailments and issues that he had when he was born. Um, but I, I think by the time I started, he had a, he had, he had a lot of highlights even then, actually. I, I remember the England series in 05, 06 when they had come as the Ashes, you know, Ashes champions. Um, and, and he took 17 wickets, played three tests in an entire series. I think that was the last time ever and maybe the first time. In fact, I, I remember a stat at the time that it would have been. It might have been his only only his second time that he would played an entire three test series without being injured uh, at any point. Um, and you know, for all that Shoaib was on the field, he was just he was just so much more fun off it. You know, he, he just I mean, there was a time when um, in one of his many controversies, and I think this one was just after he had hit. Uh, you'll remember he had hit Mohammad Asif with a bat uh, in a dressing room just before i think was it before the 2007 world t20 the first world t20 they were in they were in south africa and some bust up happened and Afrizi was also in the middle of it and he hit him with a bat uh in a dressing room and he got sent home and then like a, a series of disciplinary scripts followed after which basically he was given a five-year ban uh by by the pcb um and and i went on some show i remember and you know the the the, the guy asked me, and I, and I was young and stupid then, I guess. And the guy asked me that, do you think, like, should Shoaib Akhtar get a life ban? And and I gave some answer, like, you know, I gave a really nuanced answer, like, look, you know, the code, the PCB code has a provision for it. And he has messed up many times. Um, and so I didn't say that he should get a life ban, but like, I think the implication was there. Mm-hmm. And Shoaib then, who I had been speaking to regularly before then, um did not then again speak to me for a year and a half um until the day that he found out I was getting married uh and then he he called my wife who's also a journalist and he kind of knew her uh and he said to her he called her up first and said that uh I heard you're getting married to Usman um and if he does anything to you you tell him from me that I will break him and I was like okay <laughs> so, that that is a legit threat yeah coming from sure it's like okay I don't want to take a chance with this um but, yeah, you know, and we've had ups and downs, but he's like, a he's just off the field, you know, even now when you get in touch with it, he's just a great guy. I think the last time I actually saw him was maybe a couple of years ago. Uh He called us over for dinner to his house um, in Karachi and, and he knows I'm a vegetarian. So he, so all four dishes there were all meat, which was great. <laughs> I was literally just kicking at bread, you know, so... Um, yeah, so Shreve, like, you know, I, I could go on. That was his way of sticking it back to you for that implication that you made. Exactly, exactly. He was trying to convince me that, listen, like, you know, stop, stop this. You have to start eating meat. And I was like, no, I'm good. You know, he's got, he's very much of that old, like, you know, if you eat well, mm-hmm. if you eat meat, you'll become stronger and you'll become a faster bowler and all this. I think he believes in that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, what a guy, yeah. And what a guy to watch. Like, I've seen him bowl uh, live and it's, it is like truly it's one of the experiences that I I, I will never forget. Yeah. is Watching him bowl.
0: So Asmat, keep your uh, journalist hat aside for 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 show. so when did you first get to know of this? Pakistan are known for their pacers. I mean, yeah. we all know that it's, it's it's a cliche beyond one. So when is the first time you heard of this guy who could
1: maybe surpass everyone in Pakistani cricket? You know, it was um, so it was around ninety seven, ninety eight, uh, and, and I think I've said this somewhere before. I, I wasn't watching a lot of cricket at that time. I was at university. And you know, you're at university, you have far many better things to do than mm-hmm. watch cricket. In
0: fact, I need to interrupt you there, Osman. You yeah. said it on this pod. So listener, <laughs> yeah. go check out. It was, it was Osman and Siddharth Monga yes. talking about in, the India-Pakistan rivalry. So go check that episode out as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, I wasn't watching a lot of cricket. Uh, but then, you know, somebody, uh, I, I spoke to like family back home or something and somebody said that koi ladka hai. this new kid is out. And, 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 you know, if you get to see any cricket anytime soon, watch him so I was like you know, I was looking out for his name in papers and stuff and then I think the first time I saw him was at some on uh, some friend had a had a dish tv you know in those days dish tv was a thing and Pakistan were playing a tournament in Sharjah and he was bowling against I think England or South Africa or somebody and I saw him uh, live and I think in that game actually Azur Mahmood took more wickets but I saw Shoaib and I thought oh my god like, who is this guy? You know, why is he coming, running in from, like, literally the dressing room? Uh, and he came in and um he was just amazing. I'm mean, like, you know, he's a fast bowler and how can you not get blown away by it? And then, of course, you know, you start following his career and he does amazing things. Uh, even gardens happen. The World Cup, I got to see a lot of, 99 World Cup. And he was outstanding in that. I mean, I, I, like, he was just so, so good to watch. There was that, I think the, the, the one memory... Of the many from that tournament is when I think was it Sherwin Campbell who top edged him a bouncer that went for six and it flew over. Like it flew over. It wasn't even like, you know, close, just bouncing over the other side. It flew over for six and it was just like, my God, who is this guy? Um, and, and since then you just hooked, right? You can't, you can't not watch him. Um, I, I, but, and there was, in, in fact, yeah, the one thing I do remember is that I had a little bit of skepticism because if you remember just before him had come Mohammed Zahid. Uh, who was, you know, even Shoaib says himself that he was probably quicker than I was. And I had seen muhammad Zahid bowl. Uh, once in Pakistan, I had seen him. And so, you know, and, he, and then he had gone. Like he had disappeared. His back injury had happened and then he wasn't around. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, ye Shoaib then he'll also go away. So, you know, who knows? But once you actually see them, it doesn't matter. You don't worry about whether they're frail or whether they're going to get injured. You know, you you just need to see like an over of of him bowling and you're like, okay, you know, I don't care if he doesn't come back to bowl ever again. I have watched this, I have put it in my head and I'm going to internalize it completely and I'm going to remember it forever. And, and that's the kind of impact that a cricketer like him has, I guess. And I'm glad you mentioned Mohamed Zayed as well
0: because I think Shoaib on his uh, video cast with Sanjay Manjrakar, he mentioned that there were like six or seven domestic cricketers who were faster bowlers than Shoaib and I'm guessing Zayed was was one of them. So, Shoaib was not even the fastest in Pakistan at that point of time. In the 99 World Cup, he finished with 16 wickets, which was amazing but it was his at least from
1: my memory it was his speed that drew people to him no yeah i think so i th- i think so you know especially like younger viewers and like you know even casual fans you know you don't you don't get into immediately like oh he's setting a batsman up here like watch this spell you know like somebody like asif you appreciate uh as, as a casual fan especially you appreciate somebody like asif at one level but you don't appreciate like the craft of what he does right for example and any other bowler like a McGraw or whatever you appreciate them at a at a more cerebral level almost somebody like shoaib the beauty of that is it is the pace because he's doing things that are one rare and then he's making batsmen do things that you don't see too often either right know, so he's getting them ducking he's getting them late he's making them look awkward suddenly plus with shoaib you know it, there was the whole like the spectacle he used to G up the crowd like i remember in faisalabad once he like in 05, uh it was an open air press box in Faisalabad. So when he and, and it was very close to the ground. So he would come to the top of his mark, and essentially he was about which meant he was about ten meters away from where we were sitting in the press box, you know. It was open air. And the crowd was really quiet at that part of the day. It was like you know, middle of the afternoon session, basically, uh England had been batting, uh, you know, wickets weren't falling, it was a dead wicket. And Shweb just started geeing up the crowd. You could hear him, you could hear him just saying, hey, Come on, come on, look and like you know, just pumping up his hands. And they got into it. And then he started bowling. And, you know, Karthik, I think I I watch cricket and I, I pretend, or at least I, I imagine that I can understand, like, you know, the, the the tactics and the strategy of it. But for that one spell, I just, I didn't care. I just wanted him, I didn't care, like, what happened. I just wanted to see him bowl as fast as possible and for the crowd to go crazy. And he did. The beauty is he did. And it was a bonus. He got Peterson out and Flintoff out in that spell. And I think he got Flintoff with a 95 mile per hour, good length, Ball, you know, bold, and Peterson was slow hooking him, and he hooked up, and it only went as far as mid-on and stuff. And he was quick; he was just quick, and all that mattered more than the swing, more than the pitch, nothing. It was just the pace, you know. And so it's that impact, like you say, it's it's that impact which, for a casual guy, you know, the crowd was going crazy in Faisalabad that day, and you know, they they a lot of them wouldn't have appreciated the intricacies of the game, but what they would have loved. It's just the fact that this guy was tearing in like 100 miles an hour. He can kill a batsman or maybe hurt him really badly and he can get crickets. And it was just amazing, you know, and, th- and that's the impact of somebody like him, I think, on the game. Yeah, man, he was, he was box
0: office when, when he came into bowl. It was, he must, must watch television, must watch cricket. Now, uh, at that point, I think the late, late to late nineties and the early two thousands, there was this pace race yeah. between yeah. who yeah. was the fastest bowler in the world because that's what, any casual fan, even us, we yeah. want to know like who was the fastest bowler in the world. So there was Shoaib Akhtar, there was Brett Lee and they were both going for that magical 100 mile per hour, per hour mark. And by all accounts, Jeff, Jeff Thompson has hit the mark but we yeah. never had speed guns of, yeah. of, 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 of the quality that we have currently then. There was this one time where Shoaib actually touched 100 miles per hour but the ICC didn't reckon it, recognize it. And then in the 2003 World Cup, It was to Nick Knight where Mm. officially on the scoreboard it came, this ball is 100 miles per hour. And when I look at this ball again, when I see it now
1: (laughs) after 17 years, it's so unassuming. It's so yeah. anti dramatic. Like this was the ball. <laughs> he, I think, he, what Nick Knight just played it out to square leg or mid-wicket or something. Correct, it? correct.
0: <laughs> it was, it was to square leg. He just hit it off his pads, and it was, yeah. it was a dot ball. It was fine. Shawer went back, took his cap. I think it was the end of the over as well.
1: But he, he puts up his fingers, right? He does the V sign. He does the V for victory yeah. sign. I think when he's walking. Well, once back. he
0: sees it, once he sees it on the ball. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it like. It it was weird because it was like, as you say, it was a completely like anti-climatic delivery, but I think it, it did like, it, it was something that, you know, as well as us following it, he was really into it. I don't know how much Brett Lee was into the whole hundred miles per hour thing, but he really wanted to get there and he wanted to show. Um, and it was just a, it's a really interesting contrast actually between the two of them. I, I don't think like people have commented maybe much on it or written much about it, but like, you know, Brett Lee was this like beautiful, clean action. Straight lines running the way through, like lovely little jump and beautifully held wrist and all. And he just looked like an athlete through and through. And, you know, Shwe was this other, like this force of nature action, right? He was just like, sometimes he would change his run up a little bit. Uh, he was flat footed. He was born flat footed. So, you know, his running style was always a little bit more different. He was broader and bigger. And his action was, you know, there was, of course, he had the hyperextension. So it looked like he was, you know, it looked like he was basically breaking the 15 degree mark but it was because and he's shown this to me I, i've seen this live that he can you know if he if he holds it if he stretches out his arm he can he can actually bend from the elbow both ways and not not like a huge degree the other the wrong way but he can go down so it, it is literally his arm was like a javelin you know uh and, and it would go so it would look like he was chucking but he was not that was just the way his action was but the difference in the two actions was just it was remarkable like bretley was so clean and so technically correct and and Shoaib did everything wrong in his action, you know. Probably everything about his action was wrong, which is why he got injured so often. But the 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 effect of it uh was just phenomenal. And I I, I just used to think like Brett Lee when he used to hit hundred, and maybe it's just bias from me watching more of Shoaib. When Brett Lee used to hit hundred, it didn't kind of bring the same thrill in me of when Shoaib hit hundred. I don't know why that is because I think Sh- Brett Lee was maybe just a more orthodox fast bowler. Very quick, of course, nothing to do with, you know, space. I, I think I get that same kind of skill from somebody like Sean Tate, by the way, who was again, you know, a wild thing. He was just like a wild card bowler and he wouldn't know what he could do with it. But I always felt that at his, at his quickest, like Sean Tate, at his quickest, I think Shoaib could have been a bit quicker than Brett Lee. Brett Lee could have sustained it. Brett Lee probably would have, you know, could have been a, would have been a better bowler even, I would say with it. But at his quickest, at his best, I think Shoaib was, was up there. Between the two of them, you know, I, I'd say. So
0: then, Osman was Shoaib, just about the speed, or is that a bit unfair? Should we remember him for a lot more on the field? I mean, not not his off the field
1: antics. Yeah, no, you know, ultimately, I think the more you watched him, and especially in his later years, the more you realize that he he was much more than just the speed. The speed was a big part of it, no doubt. And speed, and that's a, I say that in a good way, you know, not in a way to limit him. The speed was great because if you can bowl really fast as a fast bowler, you're onto something, clearly. Um but he he was a much, much smarter bowler. Like if you you know, if you got the chance to watch him in a test match, he he would know his role so well sometimes, you know. Like somebody like uh he he could play off somebody like Asif, uh where he knew he could do different things, uh whereas Asif would control one end, but he knew what to do on the other side of that. He could he had that amazing slower ball, of course, which you know was underrated, but it was a superb, superb slower ball which he unveiled. Quite a lot. But he could do a lot of other things with the ball. You know, he, he wasn't just that reverse-swinging Yorker. He could swing the new ball quite a lot. He had a fierce, fierce bouncer. Um, of course, you couldn't expect him to bowl dry. You know, he he he's not going to be one of those outside-the-off-stump or top-of-off-stump dry bowlers. But he there was a lot he could do. Uh, and he was smart. It wasn't like he was a stupid fast bowler. He, he was a very intelligent bowler who, who could work out batsmen. It's just that he had this one great weapon where sometimes... He didn't need to work a spin out. He sometimes just needed to blast them away. And he did. You know? <laughs> which was, which was where his, I think, which is where his quality always lay.
0: Mm, we, we don't have, uh, Stump Mike Stats Guru Gaurav with us today, but he has sent me some stats about, about Bakhtar. And the, the, the first one, he's got Dravid nine times, Tendulkar Ganguly, Ponting and Kalis eight times. Th- those are his
1: top five. Like the cream, the absolute cream, you know. And, and there's one, one callous delivery. Like, I know people talk about, you know, Dravid and the Dravid, the first, the Dravid delivery in that Eden Gardens test was far better than the Tendulkar delivery. You know, Tendulkar's ball was actually a full toss and he kind of played around it. It wasn't a great, it wasn't a great shot, but the Dravid delivery before that was outstanding because it was perfect yoker length. You know, Dravid, solid defensive batsman even then, which was earlier in his career, but even then, solid defensive batsman together. But the ball that actually like I, one of the deliveries that I would put above the others for Shoaib was a ball that got, got Callis in an ODI in Lahore in I think it was O three or four, um, and he had been setting him up all over his mid-inning. So it was thirty-fifth over. I think Callis had been around for a while. Callis had been batting for a while, and Shoaib had come back, uh, you know, as a strike bowler to take wickets, and 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 he, he was trying to set him up. So everyone knew what he was doing. He was setting him up for that Yorker in swinging. Uh, and all over he bowled it. And the ball previous to it, he actually managed to get this like waist-high full toss, which actually hit Callis on the hip and I think hurt him and maybe rattled him a bit. Uh, and the next ball, and you know, Callis, like there's few defensive batsmen better than Callis. You know, few guys who could put out a Yorker better than Callis could. But this ball was just like it swung late, it was perfectly on target, and it actually like it beat him for pace because it snuck in just between his back coming down, and the ball going through. And it bowled him, I think it was 148 kilometers an hour or something. And, it, you know, to do that to somebody like Callis, who was well set on a surface in Pakistan, my God, like he was some, some bowler. Um And there's another ball that he bought to Dravid in 07, 08 in Delhi, I think, with a test that India won by seven wickets, I think they were chasing. And Dravid had gotten 90-odd, I think. Oh no, Dravid got 40-odd, I think. But that delivery also was a bit bit shorter. It wasn't Yorker, it was a good length ball. But the way it swung in and just went through, again, you know, to go through the bat and pad of Rahul Dravid, you've got to be bowling pretty well, you know. Um, so, amazing. Like, yeah, some of his deliveries were just… Uh, and the batsman, I'm not surprised at all. He wasn't a tail-end, you know, picker-upper. He was a, a, a bowler who picked up some of the highest quality wickets going.
0: Yeah. And one thing that tells me about Shoaib's intimidation factor, I mean, these are stats sent by Gaurav again. It's 87 out of his 444 international wickets were dismissing batsmen for ducks. Wow. 24% of his test wickets for ducks. Now, that now that just shows that you're a batsman, you're coming in and if, there, there is that intimidating factor that Shoei Bakhtar had throughout.
1: Yeah, and you know, more than, I mean, like I, I guess batsmen might say that, oh no, we're not intimidated by bowlers. Even more than the intimidation, although, you know, some guy running in from that far away and you know the reputation and stuff. So obviously it will play on you a little bit. But I think even more than that was just how difficult he was to face first up. Because, you know, the again, the action was different. Um And he would bring, you know, he's very front-on. So a, a lot of times batsmen have said, actually, people I've spoken to have said that they wouldn't be able to sight his arm coming from over his shoulder. He was very front-on, and because of the way his arm came over, they wouldn't be able to sight it. And especially his bouncer was very difficult to pick, always. Again, because of the action, you know, because of the little, what feels like a jerk, but it wasn't, because it was hyper extension or whatever. But it was very difficult to pick him. So, you know, he was perfect. He was quick. He had an unusual action. And so I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that there were so many ducks there because, you know, to cite him early on, not that it got easier to play him the longer you stayed because he was that good. But to cite him early on was always like a massive, massive challenge for any batsman. So, Osman, here's a question for you. Hmm.
0: Sh- Shoaib Aftar held a particular record for 13 years. Oh, my God. He broke the record. He held the record from 2003. And it was then broken by a compatriot of his in 2016. Can you guess what this record is?
1: Oh, he, he, so he set the
0: record in 03, huh? In 03. And it was broken by a fellow Pakistani cricketer in 2016. Okay, it's, I'll give you a hint. It's not what you would think it is. It's maybe not to do with his
1: best skill set. So it's, it's not with bowling, obviously. It's with the bat, clearly. Uh, did he oh wait is this something to do with the fastest innings by I don't know number 9 or number 10 which he would have so he hit 43 of 18 balls or something against England at the 03 World Cup am I getting close? Yo I mean you got
0: the innings spot on okay. it's 43 which he hit, hit versus England yeah although it's not the fastest it's the highest score by a number 11 in ODIs which was then broken by Mohamed
1: Amir's 58 oh, ah, I was there I was. I was on the right track I was there on the right track at least. <laughs> Super. I, did, I don't think even Shoei will know he held that record. Would very much doubt it. <laughs> yeah, but th- th- that's
0: awesome. So we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up here. But I have a couple more questions for you, Osman. Do you feel a sense of regret that why didn't he play more, or he should have played more, but the injuries held him back? Is that something that he maybe maybe when you've spoken to him that he regrets in his international career career as a fan and as a journalist? Would you? have liked to see him play a lot
1: more? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I personally would have liked to have seen him play a lot more because, you know, he was just that kind of character in the game. I would have liked to. But I I think, you know, the few times that I've spoken to him about it, he's not especially regretful about it. I think he thinks that it's a miracle that he played for as long and as much as he did. You know, really like the the problems of, you know, he was born flat-footed. He couldn't walk, I think, for a long time uh, when he was a child. Uh, and just you know coming from a fairly uh difficult background in terms of you know the, the economic kind of background it wasn't you know he wasn't well off when he came out and for him to make it as far as he did and then to get further i think he he really cherishes it and he said once i remember his retirement announcement uh in Colombo it was at the world cup 2011 world cup and he made the announcement uh and he said then that you know uh, people don't realize like people ask me that you know i've only played 40 something tests and not even 200 wickets but people don't realize how much even just playing one test or one ODI can change your life for Pakistan. Like if you're, you know, if you're a Pakistani, he's saying that I, I, everything I've learned in my life, in my adult life, from swimming, from the way to eat, from the way to speak, from the way to meet people think, and, and, and about the world, about traveling the world. Everything I've learned is because I got that first cap, you know, and then he was allowed. He was afforded the opportunity to travel. He was, afford, he was taught how to swim, for example. He was taught how to look after himself. So he says that people don't understand that, you know, just playing once even for your country is a massive, massive thing. And it's a life-changing thing for a lot of people, In you know, especially in places like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. It is life-changing. So he looks at the way he looks at it is that he was extremely fortunate to actually play as many as 46 test matches. And he says that, you know, you guys think that I didn't play enough, but God knows what my body went through. I know I've played enough and I've played more than I actually ever should have done. Uh, from the outside, I feel like, yeah, man, it would have been great if he'd played 70 test matches. But who knows what could have happened to him if he'd played that much more. You know, he might not have been the bowler that we we talk about now, for example, uh, what he had played. So, regrets for me, not massive amounts. I'm happy with what he's done. And regrets for him, I, I don't think so at all.
0: For research for the spot, there was this piece of yours... That you wrote after the 2011 World Cup. It's titled, It's the Color We Remember, Shoev. <laughs> you can, you should still go check it out. It still holds up well. But there's one thing, like, like you put it there, Osman, the bad times matter less. So final words on Shoev's legacy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, ju- during his career, it used to be infuriating how often he would get into, especially during the latter half, how often he would get into like controversy. One type, you know, he's been banned for doping. His chucking thing, his statements, everything. he used to get infuriating. But it was all put to one side. And I think I wrote it in that piece. It was all put to just one side by just to be able to watch him bowl and do what he did best. And even in that World Cup, like they treated him bad, you know, dropped him before the semifinal. Um, but even in that World Cup, I remember him getting Mahila Jayavardana's wicket at the Ketarama in Palombo. Like, you know, imagine getting Jayavardana bowled when you're on your last legs as a fast bowler. He bowled him through the gate and just even for like a little moment like that it it whatever else he did it was just completely worth it completely worth it oh, that's lovely and uh, to end Wikipedia
0: he's not just called a cricketer Shoaib Akhtar is a cricketer and YouTuber so you know how entertaining he is <laughs> till date as well so yeah so go, go check out the full interview of Shoaib with Sanjay on our website as well come back for more for Stump Mike Osman thank you so much for joining us this week thanks for having me guys thank you